This is the Build Your Path podcast, where we explore how people get into their careers in the built environment. Today's guest is Natalie Henshaw. Natalie is the Historic Trades Program Manager at Preservation Maryland and has been in the industry since 2013. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Pool & Kent Corporation, a subsidiary of MCOR Group. Pool & Kent is one of the leading mechanical contractors in the eastern United States. For more, visit pool-kent.com. Welcome on into the Bulger Path podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pine, and my guest today is... Natalie Henshaw with Preservation Maryland. So, Natalie, uh, it's our pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. So if you just want to give a little bit deeper uh, explanation, you know, who you are and what you do, just uh, give an introduction to our audience. Right. So I am the Historic Trades Program Manager for Preservation Maryland. I helm what we call the Campaign for Historic Trades. It's a national program to help develop and promote historic trades careers. So working with your hands on historic structures. That's really interesting. And I'm also uh, <laughs> curious how you got to where you are now, you know, in your schooling, early life. How did you get to where you are now? Like a lot of people in preservation, uh, indirectly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not too many people know at the age of 18, they want to work on uh, old buildings and specifically mm-hmm. what they want to do. So I originally um, went to college. I got my bachelor's and my master's in history mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. Uh, but I graduated in 2009, so it wasn't a great year to graduate, and it was pretty pretty hard to find a job. I kept running into the issue of people said I was qualified, but they found this person that was just a little more qualified. They had Mm -hmm. some type of specialty training in that field. So I started to brainstorm about different career paths related to history, and I found some jobs related to historic preservation and being a tradesperson in the field. I had absolutely no hands-on skills whatsoever at that point, but I thought it sounded very cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I applied to some and I didn't get it again because I wasn't qualified. So I looked up ways I could become qualified and I found Savannah Technical College. So I was living in Tulsa, Oklahoma and decided to move to Savannah, Georgia to attend this tech school. It was one of the closest schools that I could get that training. Um, If that says how few programs actually exist (laughs) in the country that I had to Mm -hmm. go a three state radius to find one. Um, So I graduated from Savannah Technical College and, uh, have my associates in historic preservation and restoration. And from there, I worked a lot of different odd jobs. So I worked as an intern at the National Park Service. I worked a lot of uh, under the table jobs, just painting Mm -hmm. and paint scraping. Uh, I worked with some nonprofits and for businesses. Um, One of my big jobs ended up being with Historicorps is based in Colorado. It's a nonprofit that does restoration work on public lands and Mm -hmm. we use volunteers so I did a lot of different jobs with them over the years (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. I was working with them about six years on and off seasonally and administratively so I helped run some trades training programs and then I came back to Savannah and started teaching at Savannah Technical College as well so I kind of have this 
weird breadth of different skill sets related to the preservation trades. And that's what uh, got me onboarded at Preservation Maryland was a lot of my experience on the educational and the training fronts. Great. I mean, yeah. It seems like you've you've moved around <laughs> a lot, uh, had a lot of different experiences. I'm curious, have you had a mentor either, you know, in your career as an intern, as a college student? Yes. One of my project supervisors with Historicorps, um, his name is Patrick Kennedy. He's from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He's got the accent <laughs> and he even has the stash. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been, I don't even know, working for decades in the field. Mm-hmm. And the way that those Historicorps projects are set up is it's uh, the project supervisor and a crew leader. And we helm a crew of volunteers. And it's usually in U.S. Forest Service land. So you go out and you camp next to the site and you can't use your phone because <laughs> yeah. there's no service. It's a really nice bubble for learning. And it was probably the best experience I had of some one-on-one training and mentorship. There aren't any official apprenticeships in preservation trades. And so there's not a lot of very clear career paths or training avenues. You know, I went to school, but like I said, there's very few schools that teach it and it doesn't cover a lot of the country, but there's still people in the trades. So a lot of people have to go about it informally. And uh, that's essentially what I did. And I didn't have a really good mentor until I started working with Patrick Kennedy. And it was nice having that bubble of learning. So mm-hmm. he helped show me some of the skilled trades, how to manage a job, how to you know organize the type of labor and budgets. And beyond that, he helped me find ways to upskill. So helped me get in touch with some workshops. So I started doing a specialty in window restoration. And that was in large part because of him. He pretty much said, if you start doing window restoration, uh, you'll be overloaded with work before you know it. And that was very true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he helped me a lot also just with business advice. So after working Mm -hmm. with a lot of different companies, I decided to try it on my own. And it was just invaluable having a person I could touch base with both for actual practical tasks, like how do I do X with this window and also business tasks. You know, if I had some trouble with a general contractor, I called up him and he really helped me figure out how to navigate those type of relationships. It was invaluable. <laughs> yeah, I bet. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, you've, you've had a mentor. Have, have there anybody uh, in your life that you've had the chance to mentor yourself or... I think maybe informally, you know, in the role of the teacher at Savannah Tech, I definitely did some of that probably without knowing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I learned about some mentorship programs like the International Masonry Institute. They have an official mentorship program and have people go through training. I'm also part of the Window Preservation Alliance, and they have an informal mentorship program. I'm definitely more on the side of needing a mentor with it still. (laughs) I'm only Mm -hmm. about 10 years into the trades. But I want to go through some type of formal pre- or mentorship training because it is so invaluable. And I don't, like with the students, I was in that position without necessarily recognizing or realizing it. And I want to make sure that I can play that role that Patrick Kennedy did with me and help other people get started out and make sure I do it well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah. Um, Talk about some of your passion that you have working in preservation. A lot of it probably comes from the history background. You know, I've always liked history and learning about it and Mm -hmm. thinking very contextually about where I am in the world and how events fit into the broader context. So I think that definitely is part of it. When you get into the actual preservation 
side of it, I think a lot of it is how that becomes physical. So that same mm -hmm. type of idea, but with a physical structure. You know, if you go into an old cathedral, it's amazing that that type of structure resonates throughout the generations, right? Everybody mm -hmm. recognizes and knows what it is. Not only does it physically last, but the purpose of the space can last or change to new purposes. And yeah. just being in there and knowing what has previously gone on and why it was built, how it's changed, uh, that's pretty exciting. After learning some more about the physical part of it, too, you know, the preservation and historic trades part, I have a greater appreciation for the materials. You know, there are a lot of historic materials that you just can't get anymore, like older wood, old growth wood. You just mm -hmm. literally cannot get anymore because we cut it all down. <laughs> right. So, you know, having it um, in these buildings, I think, is just, um, I think it's undervalued just the unavailability of it. And then also the quality of the craftsmanship and the type of technology and techniques they used in the past. Um, we don't use all of them the same way with new technology. And I think that there's a lot of reasons we did some things for, you know, the last 4,000 years of human building. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you use the uh, example of a cathedral. I'm always struck by the beauty. Mm -hmm. Like you walk in and you're like, this might've been built hundreds of right. years ago and it looks like either modern, it's just like so well-crafted, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about um, why you think this is a rewarding career to get into. Yes, I, <laughs> I think the first thing that really struck me in this is seeing the physical completion of the work. Mm -hmm. With history, probably the greatest thing I made was my thesis, my master's thesis. And, mm -hmm. you know, estimated hours, it was probably about a thousand hours of writing and research and everything. And the physical manifestation of it was three slim books, <laughs> which was great. Right. And I have the digital copies as well. And I am very proud of that. But, you know, all that work only ended up as three books that probably nobody will ever see except for me which mm -hmm. again is great, but it's very different than spending, you know, a week and seeing yourself build a wall. And at right. the end of the day, you're like, I built that wall or I repaired mm -hmm. that wall, or mm -hmm. now people can use their windows. And there's just such a great sense of completion. Um, I've also realized as I've gotten older that I have ADD and these type of <laughs> yeah. physical trades are really great for getting out some of those ADD ticks and feeling that sense of completion and task progression. And um, I think, more people with ADD should go into some physical trades. I think they'll find some satisfaction out of it. I've not heard that on the podcast before. So that is oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes, try it out. Anybody with ADD. <laughs> and, you, and you mentioned we're working, you know, either informally with young people or, you know, students at Savannah Tech. Um, yeah. Why should young people enter the industry? Yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> Right. Uh, definitely. I think there's an undervalue of the physical work for sure. You know, a lot of people talk about going to get white collar jobs, but I have never been so unfulfilled than <laughs> mm -hmm. I have working at a white collar job and the pay isn't necessarily better. So it also depends on what avenue you go into, but there's plenty sure. of low paying white collar jobs. Um, sure. And it's just very enjoyable being outside, seeing your work happen. And we know <laughs> through a lot of our work, construction really, really needs people. There's plenty of jobs. Um, you know, 
I'm actually based in Savannah, Georgia, and we have a window restoration business and we're already booked out into next year with work. Wow. There's just, mm -hmm. there's so, so much work. The benefit of, too of preservation work and historic trades work is it also can never be mechanized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's all these different ways they're trying to figure out how to eliminate people from construction, partly because mm -hmm. of the labor shortage problem. And there's just not good ways to do that with preservation. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, you always need that humor intervention, that human discretion getting into it. So there's a lot of job security on that front as well. That's great. Um, and I know there's obviously like a stigma around the trades and yeah. all that. Not if you don't go to college and all that. Um, what should young people expect when they're first starting out? Mm. I think it depends on where they go for sure. Um, I Maybe the biggest lesson I learned over time. When I first started, I got relegated to the really grunt work jobs, mm -hmm. specific example, working at um, a national park oh. here in Savannah. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we were on a crew of preservation people and our main job was doing masonry restoration. Mm -hmm. But part of that is really just cleaning. You know, one of the first basic steps of preservation is keeping something clean and maintained. So every morning I was what we called, uh, I was on pigeon duty. Uh, which okay. is, I went and cleaned up pigeon poop every morning. <laughs> it was very unglamorous. Uh, I definitely didn't expect that as part of my work. You know, I thought something way fancier and cooler, like working on steeples or, you know, stained glass cathedrals and all this. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I was cleaning up poop. <laughs> and um, it didn't feel great. But now with some perspective on it, I see... That is a very important step. And I won't say everybody in the trades has cleaned up poop, but they've done the equivalent, right? Everybody's dug the ditch. Everybody's mm -hmm. cleaned up the dirty job site. Everybody's crawled under the house and done the grunt work. There's always that ground level stuff that you just have to be okay with doing and put in the hours to do. And so now with 10 years under my belt, I have so many hours of the equivalent of cleaning up pigeon poop, but it helped me get up to the higher levels. I think one of the um, issues with preservation trades is we don't have that clear pathway like I talked about. We don't have formal apprenticeships. The campaign is trying to get those registered. That's one of our big things. Mm -hmm. I think it would have really helped me at the time seeing, okay, I am cleaning up pigeon poop, but I will also learn these things over this amount of time. So right. I can expect at the end to be doing this. At the time, I really felt like, am I always going to be doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, am I always going to be pushed into this position? And uh -huh. I think a lot of people do feel that when they start out. You know, I've been training some people now and um, people getting into it. And I think there is that kind of attitude of like, I didn't sign up here to dig a ditch. Mm -hmm. But you, you got to do some digging if you want to lay a foundation. So yeah. I think knowing that, but also trying to keep in mind of where it's going. And making sure there is a way to go because it, it does suck to just be stuck digging a ditch. So people now have the, uh, I guess, the agency to pick and choose a little bit on their employment. Mm -hmm. They're not just stuck with whatever. So if you do find yourself in that position, try and get a better job that will make sure that you have good pro career progression um, or a good mentorship so you can start building up the skills. Yeah. I think that's a good point to make, too, that there is a ladder to be climbed. There are yes. options definitely some uh, pathways as well. So, and I like to end every podcast by giving the guest a chance to plug 
um, something about their company. So if people yeah. want to learn more about the historic trades or Preservation Maryland, where can they go? Great question. <laughs> for the campaign for historic trades, we have a website, historictrades.org. We want anybody pretty much interested to be able to use this. We want it to be a hub. So people looking to train, people in their current careers who need help or mentorship, professionals who want to help train, partners who want to support the campaign. Right now, especially for young people, we're recruiting for the National Park Service's traditional trades apprenticeship program. TTAP. Mm -hmm. And that's where people get that one-on-one -on -one experience. It's about six months and you go to different parks across the country. We're also looking to develop state-based regional cores. So you can be on a crew that works on, you know, like state parks. We're specifically talking about making one for Maryland. So they can go around and learn some of those trades um, as a way to get into this. So that's one area. And then Preservation Maryland, also preservationmaryland.org. We have a lot more going on at the whole organization, supporting preservation and smart growth and um, a lot of advocacy work for the state and preservation in general. So we have a lot going on. It's a cool organization. <laughs> oh, awesome. Great to hear. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, wealth of knowledge. And we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matthew. <laughs> yep. If you want to learn more about Build Your Path podcast or the built environment overall, go ahead and visit buildyourpath.org. Another big thank you to our guest, Natalie Henshaw from Preservation Maryland. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Pool and Kent Corporation. Build Your Path podcasts are produced by the Maryland Center for Construction, Education, and Innovation. I'm Matt Pine. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.